Good morning. How are you? Good to see you. You're doing well? All right. Uh, This morning is going to be a really kind of a PG-13 message. And so I want to give you as parents a chance to maybe take the kids into the children's environment. It's not going to be locker room talk, but it is going to be PG-13. And so we're going to talk about some of those provocative verses of Scripture coming from the book of Corinthians. So I'm back. And here we go, all right? (laughs) Um, So somebody said this morning, you took two weeks vacation to get ready for this sermon, didn't you? No. But I'm going to ask you to stand with me now, and we're going to close our eyes, bow our heads. So in case you choose to take children out of here, it's probably not a bad idea, because I want to talk real open with you this morning. So I'm going to pray for us so that you can not be embarrassed and take them out either the lobby or uh, back to the children's environments, which are better for them anyway. So let me pray. And as parents and grandparents, it's your call, okay? Um, Lord, these are some tough verses. And we live in a very um, sexually permissive culture. So we need your help this morning. I need your help. And I'm asking that um, you allow these words that are from Paul and the Holy Spirit to speak to us some truth today. And I just really pray that this is a helpful session, a helpful time, and um, with humility, I want to say um, I really need your help because this is a loaded topic. Um, In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I think more people came in the room than left the room. I don't know what happened. So um, just recently, Denise and I were on this really long flight, and it was actually five hours and 51 minutes. That's a long flight from basically Boston all the way to Phoenix. And so I'm looking around. We sit in the back of the plane. And after 32 years of marriage, we know where we want to sit. I'm in the aisle. She's at the window. And we're good with that. We don't have to sit together. We're in the same row. But there is a school teacher, 35, 36 years old, in in the middle of us. And so I'm looking around, and I see two kids behind me, maybe a single dad. I see two kids over here uh, with a single mom, and I see two babies in the front, and I thought, oh, this is going to be the flight from hell, God. And it's, it's five hours and 51, oh, God, please help me. So we take off, and the air conditioner on the lady next to me is just blowing profusely. You cannot turn the thing down. You can't tighten it. It's just blowing cold air. It's blowing so badly that she's asking for my help, and I kind of move it a little bit, and the lady in front of me, it parts her hair. It's blowing so hard, and she gets mad. I mean, we haven't even left the ground yet. This lady's fired up, you know, and turned around, who are you? And, And about that time, the kids behind me start kicking the seat. They kicked my seat for five hours and 51 minutes. The two girls over here, one girl was good. The three-year-old screamed, I am not exaggerating, for at least two and a half hours. Two and a half hours, she screamed, I'm asking for duct tape. I'm asking for Benadryl. You know, drug the kid. Whatever, you know. Let the kid, you know, this is not going to work. Two babies in the front. just. and, And I thought about today's sermon with this in mind. How you fly sexually will determine how rough your ride's going to be. How you fly sexually through this life will determine whether or not it's going to be a really, really bumpy ride 
or if it will be kind of like consistently calm and some good or some decent landings. I want to talk today about the Christian context. I want to talk about what's in our story. I want to talk about from Genesis to Revelation, God's heart, God's mind, God's will, what's in our story. Now, so this represents our story, okay, right here. If you get out here or you get out here and you hear like a commandment that says, do not commit adultery, you go, why? Or you hear a commandment that says, do not commit fornication, why? Or you hear a commandment that says, do not practice homosexuality, why? All of us, every group, whether you're inside the Christian story or outside the Christian story, kind of agrees that rape is wrong bestiality is definitely wrong and incest is wrong. But if you get outside of the Christian narrative, it's like, what is Paul talking about? So when you hear these verses from Paul, and when Paul says, flee from sexual immorality, or Paul says, you were bought with a price, your body doesn't belong to you. It's like, who are you to tell me what to do? I'm an American. And as an American, I'm going to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, where I want to do it, and as often as I want to do it. And so I I get it. When you look outside of the Christian context and you hear a Ten Commandment, do not commit adultery, it's like, well, where does that come from? And how does that apply to me and my fulfillment and, and my happiness? And so I want to talk about what God did. And I want to talk about the Christian narrative. And if we understand the narrative of God, in in fact, God's whole story is about relationships. You look in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible's about relationships. God was in perfect fellowship with the Holy Spirit and with the Son, and yet still he created you and he created me. Now, why did God do this? And so right off the bat, I totally understand this statement. I totally get this. The Christian teachings on sex before marriage, adultery, gender, divorce, homosexuality, I can't even say the word, homosexuality, make no sense apart from the larger framework of God's original intentions for our flourishing as human beings who were made in God's image. So what did God do? And why did God do it? It's not a coincidence that the very first chapter of the Bible talks about the creation story and God's plan for you and for me. The very first chapter, right out of the gates, God is going to talk about creation. It goes throughout throughout the entire Bible. The Bible talks about God's marriage, a marriage between a man and a woman, a marriage between Israel and and God, a marriage between Christ and the church. And then in Revelation chapter 21, the next to the last chapter of the entire Bible, it says, see the wife, the bride, the lamb is coming for his wife. And and the whole Bible from cover to cover is really talking about God's incredible opportunity of relationships. And so when we see the Bible, the Bible is all about this. I'm creating relationships. I'm creating a relationship with Adam. 
I'm creating a relationship with Eve. I'm creating a relationship for them together. I'm creating relationships with Cain, with Abel, with Seth. I'm creating relationships with communities, with clans, with families, with cities, with towns, with people. The entire Bible is about the creation of relationships. And so when you understand within the very first chapter, God said, let there be light, and let there be birds, and let there be cattle, and let there be insects, let there be dry land, let there be seas, let there be an expanse. And on the very first chapter, on the sixth day, God says, I'm going to create man, and I'm going to have a relationship with man. I'm going to create him. And God takes mud, he breathes into his nostrils a breath of life, and man became a living being. And then God performed the very first anesthesia, if you will, caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, took one of the ribs, formed and fashioned a woman, and he put these two together. Now, here's what God did. First of all, God created gender. There is no gender confusion today. God created gender. God said, I'm going to make maleness, I'm going to make femaleness. You're either going to be male, you're going to be female. I will create that. And I'm going to stamp them in my image. Every female in this room is stamped in the image of God. And every male in this room, you are stamped in the image of God. Everyone, I'm going to create gender. I'm going to create them in my image. I'm going to create marriage. I'm going to provide the opportunity for children. I'm going to provide the opportunity for them to have a job, for them to have a role, to have responsibility. All this takes place in chapter 1 and chapter 2 of the Bible. Don't miss that God is all about the creation of relationships. And then we see in the Bible the destruction of relationships. Right off the bat, with Adam and Eve, things go south. They go AWOL quickly. But we also just, let's just talk about today's topic, sexual immorality. We see this with Noah. We see this with David. We see this with David and Bathsheba. We see in David's family rape. We see in David's family incest. We see in David's family multiple sexual um, immorality relationships. We see the destruction of relationships. Now, we know this. We may not like this, but we know every time that we color outside the lines, there is a destruction of relationships. We know that. Every time there is adultery... Every time there's homosexuality, every time there's fornication, we break down community. And everybody in this room has been touched by, let's just take one of those, adultery. Adultery hurts everyone. Everyone loses. The innocent victims, the guilty ones, everybody in adultery, there's a breakdown of community. It's why God created the permanence and the priority of marriage. You see, God's all about the creation of relationships, God's all about building communities. God's about making you healthier. He wants you to fly straight, land well, and no bumps, and no kids screaming and kicking your seat, you know, for five hours. God is all about the creation, but but this destroys relationships. Sexual immorality breaks down community. And Paul's going to say today it, it breaks you down as well. But not only does it break down community, but it dishonors God. God said, look, I made maleness. I made femaleness. And I want kids. 
And I want lots and lots and lots of kids. This is why homosexuality doesn't make sense outside the culture of a Christian narrative, outside the culture of a Christian context. The only time God's going to populate heaven is now. When Jesus Christ comes again, there will be no more babies. And so God, that's why he's against abortion. That's why he's against homosexuality. In the Christian context, God wants children. And God wants heaven to be populated. Now's the time when we are populating heaven. And so the breakdown of of community, the dishonoring of God, and you know what it does to your witness? It destroys your witness. You have no influence. How can you invite somebody else to church when you're sleeping around? How can you invite somebody to church when you're living with your girlfriend or living with your boyfriend? I mean, it's, it's, it's an antithesis of the creation of why God created marriage and why God created two people to live together in the permanent relationship. And then you know what it really does to you spiritually? It just deadens you. When you're committing sexual immorality, you're not like, oh good, church is doing a 21-day fast, can't wait to do some fasting, spend some time with God. I can't wait to get up early in the morning and spend some time in prayer. I can't wait to get on my knees. When you're in this, it, it, it deadens you spiritually, doesn't it? So the Bible is all about the creation of relationships. It talks openly about the destruction of relationships. But thank goodness there's the redemption. And this is God's heart. And God's heart is to redeem you, which just means to, to buy you back. It means to have you come back to him. The, the redemption of this relationship is God saying, I know you messed up. I know you're struggling. I know you haven't done real well with this, but I want to help you. I want to give you some hope. I want to give you a future. I I can make a difference here. I can do something about this. And so here are our verses today, and I, I admit this. These are the most offensive verses in the entire Bible because we're Americans, and nobody tells us what to do. And nobody's going to tell us what to do sexually because it's my life. It's, if there's consent and there's tolerance, I'm going to do what I want to do. I get this. I had a front row seat to this for 35 years. I know how provocative and offensive this is. I didn't write it. Don't shoot me today, all right? Don't shoot the messenger. I'm just the messenger this morning. But Paul says the body is not meant for sexual morality but for the Lord. Now, here's what else is kind of funny. I hear people today talking about how things have never been so bad. People today talk about how things have never been so sexually immoral, explicit. I'm here to tell you five times worse in Corinth than it is in Palm Harbor. Five times worse in Corinth than it is in Safety Harbor. Five times worse in Corinth than it is in Oldsmar. Five times worse there. Every man had multiple concubines, had a wife, and he went to the temple for prostitution. These different cultures built temples, and part of their Baal worship and Asherah worship was the worship of, of idols, and they did this sexually. The women in this culture, the women had boyfriends. The women had multiple partners, five times worse in Corinth than it is here in Florida, if you can imagine that, okay? Okay. And Paul is writing these words 2,000 years ago. How offensive was this? And ironically, he's writing this to the church. He's not writing this to people outside the confines of the Christian narrative. He's writing to people who are 
inside. Because he knows if people inside the church can get this, they will build community. They will honor God. They will have influence. And they will be alive spiritually. He knows if I can do it inside the church, it'll make all the difference in the world. So Paul says the body's not meant for sexual morality. The body's meant for the Lord. And by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead. Now, why does he throw that little verse in there? Because he's saying that same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And he's saying sexual integrity is possible by the power of God who lives in you. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Now, when I was first in Bible college, I thought, well, does that mean that these guys were just you know, randomly picking up a prostitute? No, this was part of their culture. Prostitution was legal. Prostitution was part of the DNA of the Corinthian church and the Corinthian culture. Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? He said, no. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is written, the two shall become one flesh. You sleep with someone, you become one with that person. And you stay one with that person. That person becomes a part of you. This is why in the movie Vanilla Sky, Cameron Diaz and Tom Cruise have a casual fling. This is kind of funny for me because this is a secular writer who wrote this, and he's dead on. In the movie Vanilla Sky, Cameron Diaz, Tom Cruise have a casual fling, and after the fling is over, Tom Cruise moves on to somebody else, and Cameron Diaz angrily says to him, don't you know that when you sleep with someone, your body makes a promise even if your heart and mind don't? Great line. Don't you know that your body makes a promise, even if your heart and your mind don't? Well, that's exactly what Paul's saying. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. If you're married today, you have a one flesh relationship with that spirit, with that person. But in the future, you will have a one spirit relationship with Christ. You will be united with Christ. Christ is the bridegroom. We are considered the church to be the bride. That's what he means. We'll be one spirit. And then he says this. In a culture that has a giant temple, a culture that you can't not get away from prostitution, you can't walk down the street, you can't not go to work, you cannot go anywhere without a conversation about what you did last night at the temple with so-and-so, and man, how great or how good it was. Paul says to the people in the church, within the Christian narrative, he's saying, do you remember that God created gender? And do you remember that God created you in his image? And do you remember that God created you for relationships? And Paul says, by the way, this is why you flee from sexual immorality. Because all other sins a person commits are outside the body. Well, that's an interesting discussion. How can this one affect you deeply and more personally than anything else? All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually, they sin against their what? What's it say? Their own body. So Lisa Turkhurst wrote this in one of her books, and she's having her own challenges right now if you're following her, but she's the director of Proverbs 31 Ministries. But Lisa Turkhurst wrote this about when she was about to finish college, something that happened. She said, for me, it started small. I'm going to explain why this is true. She said, for me, it started small. He slept on the couch, and I slept in my bed. 
But this seemingly small compromise set into motion what needed to remain since we weren't married. This small compromise opened the door for more compromises. More compromises brought more justifications. More justifications brought about more compromise. And then it all just kind of spiraled out of control. Then came the day I walked into my bathroom, shaking so badly I could hardly function. I pulled out that little stick of the box. I took the test. I was pregnant. My world started spinning in a haze of desperation. For several weeks, I walked around feeling like a shadow, dark, hollow, flat. I was slowly imploding under the weight of my choices. I had constant panic attacks. Now listen to this. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But when you sin sexually, it, it's internal. It stays with you. It's a part of you. She said, I was dark, hollow, flat. I was slowly imploding under the weight of my choices. I had constant panic attacks where I'd claw at my throat, gasping for air. Have you ever had a panic attack? gasping for air. I wanted to run away, but there was no place where reality couldn't find me. And then she said this, sin is a horrible appetite. It calls for more and more sin to be set in motion. The only answer I could figure out was an abortion. It all started out small, but what it set in motion grew to be devastatingly huge. So Paul says, this is going to mess you up. Now, I'm your pastor. I love you. And I know everybody in this room, 12 years of age and over, has sinned sexually. And I know we've all struggled with something in this category and something in this area. So I'm not here to throw stones, and I'm not here to put myself on a pedestal. I got my own issues. But here's what Paul is saying. When you do this, it's going to harm you. It's going to hurt you. And he says, don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? In other words, God used to live in a building. Now he lives in a body. God used to live in that temple somewhere over there in Jerusalem. Now he lives inside of you. Every one of us in this room, we have the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. God has chosen today to live in you. Credible. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. I think those are some of the most offensive and yet freeing verses that you will ever read. Now, how you fly through life will determine how you're going to live. If you fly with sexual immorality, you're going to have the flight from hell. If you fly with sexual integrity, you're going to land probably pretty, pretty well. So let me give you a couple more passages here, a couple more thoughts. See, according to God's original design, sexuality is wholesome, beautiful, and good. Now, I want to talk about this for just a minute because everybody else is talking about it. Everybody outside the Christian community is talking about it. It's time for us to talk about it. Inside of the Christian community, the Christian narrative, God's going, sex is really, really good. And sex was my idea. And I created it not to be an end in itself, but for it to be a means to an end. Now, think about this. God created sex. I, I know I've got my kids in the room, two or three of them in the room right now, and you never want to think about your parents having sex. But the longer you're married, 
It just gets better and better and better. That's all I'm going to say, all right? My kids are going, are you kidding me, Dad? Okay. See, it, it wasn't like Adam and Eve started having sex and God's going, to Gabriel, what are they doing? Who told them they could do that? What is that? What's going on? This was God's idea. This is our story. This is our narrative. We get to tell this story. We get to tell people how good and how great this is. This is within the Christian community. And sexual morality leads to incredible goodness and greatness. According to God's original design, sexuality is wholesome, beautiful, and good. It is meant to be experienced between spouses without fear, without inhibitions, without shame, and without embarrassment. Well, let's fill in some blanks. God created all this for his glory and for our good. So we've got the priority of marriage. Marriage is a priority. God wants this to be a priority in your life. It takes the precedence over every other relationship that you have. This is why a man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. What's the purpose of marriage? There's three. There's three specific purposes of marriage. Number one, procreative. Now, not everybody can have kids. And people sometimes marry late. But one of the things God wants is babies. This is why the whole abortion thing inside the Christian context, God bless them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth. Another purpose of marriage is unitive. I'm not sure if that's a word created. I've made that up, but I like it, okay? I like that word, unitive. It's about being one. It's about being united, okay? Here's what he says. This is why a man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife. They become one. They become one flesh. So here's another reason is missional. Every person who's married or will be married, you have a mission. Have you found your mission? Every couple has a purpose that God puts you together. It's not that Adam was lonely. It's the fact that Adam was alone. Big difference. He was alone. And he needed a helpmate. He needed somebody. Where do we put the daffodils? Where do we plant the garden? Where do we do? I mean, they, together they had a mission. And you and your spouse, or if you're about to get married, you have a mission. It may be teaching kids. It may be making money and giving money away. It may be doing business. It may be volunteering. It's a a mission. There's always a mission inside of your marriage. Let me say this. If your marriage doesn't have a mission, and if you don't figure out a mission for your marriage, you will not fulfill the primary purposes that God has for you, and, and you won't be as happy. Mission. Here's what he says. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Do something exciting. Then we have the permanence of marriage. What does that mean, the permanence of marriage? They're no longer two, but they're now one. Therefore, where God has joined together, let no one separate. He didn't ask you to be happy. He asked you to be Holy. In the process of becoming holy, you will find happiness. But if you pursue happiness, chances are you'll never be holy. Think about that at Burger King today or wherever you go, all right? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. This is why in the Christian narrative, he has the right to say this. Honor God with your bodies. Now, this may be the most important verse we've talked about yet. Verse 11 says, and this is what some of you were. 
And what he just listed was a whole group of people who were sexually immoral. He just listed before this verse the category of pretty much every type of sexual immorality that you can think of. He said, that's what some of you were. So the people inside the church had been very sexually permissive, promiscuous, and they weren't living under God's narrative the way they should be. Look what he says. But when you came to Christ, when you gave your life to Jesus, when, when you got baptized into Christ, the Holy Spirit came inside of you, you were washed. Christ took all of your past and he removed it as far as the east is from the west. That's hope. That's the good news. And you were sanctified. Now, if you've committed sexual immorality, you are not set aside. In Christ, you are set apart. You're never set aside. You are always set apart in the Christian narrative inside of our story. And then you were justified. You were made right in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So I want you to listen to this great song by Big Daddy Weave. Isn't that a cool name? Big Daddy Weave. I'd love to have a nickname like that, Big Daddy Weave. Anyway, that's the name of this, that's the name of this group. And they wrote this cool song called Redeemed. And I want you to listen to these words as, as Stephen sings this for us and Hans plays. But, but I'm going to come back up in just a minute. But think about your life. Lord, redeem me. Lord, set me free. Set me free from these chains. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That passage said Jesus was raised by the power of God. And that same power lives in you and lives in me. So imagine you're single. Well, you don't imagine it. Maybe you are single, okay? But imagine it, the single people in our church living with sexual integrity. Imagine those that are married in the room living with sexual integrity. Imagine the influence in our community. Imagine how we would please our Heavenly Father. If that happens and when that happens, your plane ride is smoother. And you honor your Heavenly Father. And you have a witness in the community that gives you a platform to be able to speak and to help and to love. And it makes you spiritually alive. It makes you alive in Christ. I can't wait to pray. I can't wait to come to church. I can't wait to do a fast. I can't wait to whatever. It makes you spiritually alive. I don't think these are easy verses. I tend to think these are the most offensive verses probably to Americans in the entire book of Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. But we can do this. We, we can do this. As men, we can treat you ladies as sisters. As sisters. And always have your best interests in mind. As women, you can treat us as brothers and always have our best interests in mind. And as a community, we just get healthier and healthier and our impact gets bigger and greater and greater and our Heavenly Father is going, 
That's why we did this. That's why on the first chapter of the Bible, on the sixth day, I created man and I created woman. I created them with gender. I created them in my image. And I created them to do some great things on this earth, single or married. So I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come down front. I'm going to ask you to stand. And maybe this is a struggle for you. Maybe you're wrestling with this today. Maybe this isn't going well for you today. But I want to broaden it this morning to maybe there's a marriage in your family that's not going well. Or your brother, or your sister, or your mom, or your dad, or your aunt, or your uncle. Somebody, a neighbor, that you want to pray for and pray over today. So it's not that maybe you're in trouble. It's maybe somebody else is in trouble. So we're going to open up the prayer time this morning. We had a lot of people come down in first service. A lot of different prayer requests and prayer prayer needs were met, but we just want you to be able to be prayed up and to be redeemed and to be washed and to be justified and to be cleansed. Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus, for these amazing words. Give us the strength to be the church you've called us to be. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen.